We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Where are you coming, Seth? (laughs) Hey, everyone. I am so (laughs) pleased. To announce about it. a series that we are doing on reparative therapy, and as many of our listeners know, I have my own story around reparative therapy, and so this means a lot to me. And we are going to be speaking with a guest today by the name of Randy Thomas, who I am inc- like, up, getting this getting this interview with feels like a big deal to me. I don't know if it it's a big deal. Okay, it's like some closure this man, or in this a way, man, right? all right, yeah, was is a former vice president of Exodus International and now runs an organization called Thrive Plus. Plus, well, he's the Exodus executive director. Seth? Well, yeah, we don't even know what that is. I well, I think that I think it's going to apply to reparative therapy. Um, <laughs> but and perhaps perhaps we can get into that in this conversation today. Okay, I didn't mean to but, jump. I jumped the gun there. But let's yeah, first. What's he doing now? Let's first talk to. He's the executive director of Thrive Plus. But let me let's let the man speak for himself, Randy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I love your introduction. I feel like a big deal now. <laughs> You're pretty important if you didn't know that, Randy. I'm glad yeah, to have we're you. Stoked to have Thank you. you. We really Thank you. are glad so to be here. Privileged. Yeah. Seth has been, uh, you know, talking about this interview ever since he set it up, and he's just been so nervous to to speak with you. And um, you know, we've all been looking forward to it as well. So, uh, what we like to do, uh, Randy, is just kind of start out. At the very basics, you know, we are a post deconstruction podcast. We talk to people about, uh, you know, their process of going through religion and, and how that started. Uh, so what does that look like for you? Well, uh, it's of course ongoing. Uh, you don't get into a cult for over two decades and not have a lot to unprocess <laughs> or deconstruct. Certainly. And, um, so it's ongoing. And, you know, for me, it really started, um, like years before I even came out the second time. I used to be out in the 80s, and then I went into the church closet in 1992, um, got involved in the ex-gay conversion therapy movement at the time, and um, really around 2008, 2011, I started seeing kind of what your former guest Brandon Robertson saw, in that I was seeing the people around me, the people that I thought were my idols. And I was like, do I really want to be like that? You know, is that really the heart of Christ for people? And I really started questioning things. And it was, a I started deconstructing really then before I even knew I was doing it. Um, and it eventually led me to ask questions and get punished for asking those questions and uh, and supporting um, different things. And then a tragedy happened in my life where I lost a friend, a longtime friend to suicide. And at the time we were already talking about closing down Exodus. And, um, and I was already 
researching and doing a report for the board on whether we should stay open or not. And uh, that happened at the same time. And really that ripped my blinders off and my deconstruction went into hyperdrive um, at that point because I could no longer deny how dangerous and deadly and destructive that reparative therapy, conversion therapy, ex-gay ministry, whatever you want to call it, it's toxic religion, um, was doing to myself and my friends. Man, so you, s- you said a lot there. First thing that threw me off is you came, you came out in the 80s. How old are you? I'm 52. Oh, wow. You You're look really good for 52, man. Like, I, I would not have guessed that at well, all. Thank so. you. You're my favorite host so far. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Seth. Did he, did he did just ask you your age, like openly. It's true. It's true. I mean. But but okay. I did it in such a way. I mean, I really, I was shocked. I, I'm 40, and I thought that I look good for my age. And I mean, I, I would have thought you were like around my age or yeah, something. Well, I appreciate like, that. Younger, thank so. you. Yeah. 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 No way. So, so in 1980, that's a, that's a in, uh, interesting time to uh, come out, um, especially, uh, I know a little bit of your story, but uh, where were you living at that time? Were you in, in the South? I was. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And, wow. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting place to come out as well. That's a very dangerous place <laughs> to come yeah. out. And um, I wasn't out on my own volition. My mother found a Valentine's Day party invitation in my pants. I was 19. Aww. And it was uh, it was... Uh, definitely a gay invitation addressed to my <laughs> boyfriend and I. Uh, there was no question with the artwork that was on the invitation that it was a gay party. And um, when she found out that I was gay, uh, she threw me out of the house. And um, so I was living out of my car for three weeks and uh, didn't really have a lot of options, but a drag queen named Carmela Marcella Garcia girl Um, took me in at the time and um, showed me a different Jesus than what my mother had shown me when she kicked me out. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. you went through that. That, That's really rough, man. And so, but it sounds like your mother was pretty religious and um, was your father around as well? Yeah. The weird thing is she wasn't. Uh, We weren't a religious, we were nominal Christians at best um, because granny was a Christian. But I always say that the toxic cultural stigma started in our pulpits. Um, She didn't learn that there was a special place in hell for gay people from, you know, uh, the news anchor (laughs) at Channel 4. She learned it from her parents who did go to church, did go to church regularly. And um, so that toxic theology and stigmatizing view of gay people, um, I mean, it was the most detailed theological lesson she had ever given me as she was throwing me out of the house, (laughs) you know, so. Telling you where you're going to burn. Right. Well, that was the 80s. I mean, if you guys don't know, that that was like just – you say toxic. I mean, I remember growing up playing smear the queer football, you yeah. know, sort of a thing. And then now it's just like, oh my god, the AIDS epidemic you know, was the, in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, there the a- height of the AIDS epidemic, and people were, you know, there was even uh, at first people who were gay thought it was gay cancer, right? Um, and yep. what, so what stigma came I along with that, that? You know, yeah. I also, and and maybe this, so I want to ask a question here. So, like for me, 
I was very, very close with my mother, like overshared everything. And so you just mentioned Still that. Still does. Is, do. <laughs> Present tense. Yeah, yeah where's the past tense there? You just mentioned that you were 19, right? And you received a Valentine from another man who you were identifying as your boyfriend. So your mom didn't know. Well, if she did, she didn't let on. We didn't actually have a, a close relationship. Um, really? We have a better relationship today than we have ever had before. So I'm very oh, happy. That's great to, to hear. I'm very glad to see that. And that really didn't happen yeah. until I came out the second time until in 2015. But back then, um, we weren't very close. And she, I think she was genuinely shocked. I mean, I'm so butch. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the facial hair. But, um, do, but that does, would be because uh, you have siblings then? I'm oh, sorry, babe. Sorry. You go ahead. Go first, babe. Oh, it, so, do you think that would be partly the societal because gay wasn't talked about in the 80s in in like a it could be me kind of thing? Like I I don't know. Like I'm maybe I'm just young enough that you, we get to question that, right? Like I'm thirty, I'm thirty seven, and we get to question that. But is that is that? Do you think that had something to do with it? Her attitude towards you? Well, I, you know, it's um, it's really weird because there is like a whole confluence going on in the eighties. You know, you had Boy George, um, you had George Michael. And if it yes. weren't for Prince and Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam, I would not have survived high school. Um, oh. But I was, um, I mean, Prince ran around in lace. And that was amazing. Right. I was a very much a Prince fan. But I was such a shut down kid um, because of the abuse, abuse going on in my home and at school. I never talked. And um, I literally never talked. So I don't think she ever had a chance to figure out that I was actually gay. Now I knew that I was gay early on at 10 years old. I, I thought that I might be gay. And then when the Dukes of Hazard came along and I fell in love with both Bo and Luke Duke, I really wanted to marry both of them. I was like, yeah, you're kind of gay. It took me two seasons. <laughs> it took me two seasons to figure out that Daisy was their cousin, you know, and <laughs> they were, you know, so I, I kind of came to a place of accepting that I was gay early on. And I think it, you know, visibility matters. I think it was people like uh, Boy George. And I was like, okay, you know, they can do it, but I know that nobody else around here is going to get it. So I kept it right. quiet, tried not to to let on. But of course, I got bullied at school because, you know, the while the other kids were smearing the queer, as you said, um, I was over there arranging the fall leaves by color. Because <laughs> that's, I thought that was fun. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, of course, I got picked on all the time. But um, no, we just didn't. I just wasn't a very talkative kid, which is weird now because you can't shut me up. <laughs> You're making up for yes, it. You're making up definitely. for it now. Yes. Yeah. Sorry wow. to hear you mentioned something and let's go ahead and go there if you don't mind about, you know, a little bit of your childhood and mentioned that, you know, there was an abusive situation going on. Um, and you mentioned your relationship with your mother and how she's the one who ended up kicking you out of the house. Um, I'm going to do it like a two-part question. So first about your mom, was that, do you think that she was genuinely concerned 
about your afterlife when she was yelling at you and upset or was she more concerned about the image that she was going to have of having a gay son in the 80s and then where was your dad in this what was your family situation like siblings and all that different stuff so right well my mother i think she was genuinely afraid of uh me getting aids um and because that was her that was the main thing that she was screaming at me she thought i think in her toxic religious way she was having an existential crisis for me she thought i was i was involved in deadly behavior um and her only context was in of course this horrible religious uh context she didn't know how to react and because she was so afraid that I was going to die. I think that's why she acted the way she did. I mean, it took me three therapists, real therapy, not conversion therapy, but real therapy to figure out that in her way, she, she was literally afraid of, of me dying and a mother would react. Um, she, she used the wrong context and didn't make it better, but um, she was a mother reacting for fear that I was going to die. Um, yeah, and because right. we weren't really social people, we weren't religious people. I really think it was just pure existential threat or uh, fear. Um, so yeah, um, so that led me to an understanding of her that I was able to forgive her even before we were able to get to where we are today. Um, yeah, and my bio dad. He's not in the picture. Uh, I tried to find him a couple of times, but he just doesn't have any interest. So um, he's my bio dad. I try not to disrespect him, but we don't have a relationship. I don't have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. And no siblings? No, I have a younger brother. Um, He lives in San Diego with my three nieces. And, And so, yeah. And he's always been accepting of me. Awesome. And I got one more question about your family then, and you guys can take it from, from there, wherever drugs you want to go. Uh, But uh, are you, and as far as coming out in your family, are you the only person or is there more that you're aware of? You have your younger brother or uh, cousins or anything like that, that have have come out before or since you have? Well, I come from a long line of Tennessee hillbillies. And (laughs) as far as I know, (laughs) there's not a single LGBTQ plus person in the entire lineage and i'm very happy about that because it was like the universe was like hey there you go <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very glad to disrupt that now um now well, it makes this takes a special person and like you said you're finding your allies from like you know your heroes in pop culture and wow, i was yeah. just wondering if you had anybody um you know in your immediate family that you could look to as well but it didn't sound like it so that's I mean, it takes a special person to be able to like be born into a family like that and you know live to tell about it right well my cousins they're um they're conservative in a lot of ways but they're all i think they're all accepting of me as a gay man today um but the older generations knew i mean my mom's coming along kind of like she asks about my fiance and how the 13 year old is doing and those types of things which she would never have asked of before but you know anyway so small steps yeah, right. I, I want to get into the whole Exodus story. Take us back to because you Jeez, said your family Bible? was nominally Christian, okay? Nominally Christian. 
I don't understand how a gay man in the 80s goes from being nominally Christian to the VP of Exodus. So, you had some sort of a conversion, uh, you know, an actual conversion experience where you, you know, probably gave your life to Christ or whatever, had some sort of a born-again experience. Tell us about that. Well, I, you know, I came out in the 80s, but just because you come out of the closet doesn't mean you're happy. It doesn't mean you're a healthy person. And I was not. I had just come out of a very abusive um, household. Um, I was diagnosed in 2005 with PTSD um, because of what I went through in the household and at my school. Um, so when I was forced out of the closet and lived in my car for three weeks, I was not a healthy person. And I found no. a very dark party scene. Um, and I watched so many people die um from the aids crisis and and got involved in my own you know doing abusing substances all kinds of terrible things um you know just to numb the pain i was not a happy person at all and so i ended up on a greyhound bus going to dallas texas that my christian aunt had bought me um one way (laughs) to you know change the scenery kind of situation and i was involved in the 12-step program for a while Um, i'm not currently today but i do think that that 12-step program gave me the space to finally get my bearings But unfortunately, like um, Jesus started picking off all of my small group (laughs) at this 12-step program. It was very irritating to me because I didn't like Christians at the time um, with a lot of good reasons, which will be in the book, I'm sure. (laughs) But but I didn't really care for that. But eventually, it it just, it started making sense to me. Um, And I do believe and I still believe that I'm a Christian, although most Christians don't think I am one, but I did become a Christian in 1992. And I got involved in this one church, you know, they were like, you need to go to this groovy church, because my friends at this 12-step program, they knew me, they they knew me before I became the raging evangelical that I eventually became. Um, and they were like, well, go visit this church. And it was a, it was a very charismatic, not, uh, non-denominational, you know, and I went expecting, you know, blue hair, Bible thumping, pew jumping, <laughs> all kinds of people. But I went in there and they were artists, they were musicians, they're, uh, they didn't have a choir, they had a band and they actually harmonized. And I, they invited me to their sp- their potlucks and whatever and would drink wine and i was just like these people are kind of cool you know and and when i would tell them my shocking stories because i wanted to test them um they would be like and (laughs) you know and i'm like i love these people they weren't what i was expecting which was very disarming and i was like you know all right fine i used to sleep with dudes what do you think about that and they're like we love gay people we've got a special group on thursdays for gay people and i was like "Mm?" you know and (laughs) and they were like and i i had never heard of exodus but i had heard of ex gay whatever and i thought that was ridiculous but i went and visited this group and You know, I lived in Arlington, Texas at the time, which I wish that I had just run down the street to Dallas and gone to the largest gay church in the world, but I didn't. And I visited (laughs) uh, this group. And again, I was expecting 
them to threaten me and manipulate me with hell and all this other stuff. And they didn't. And I was asking all these, you know, pretty straightforward kind of rude questions. And they were like, Randy, if you don't want to come to our group, you don't have to be here. I'm like, wait, you're supposed to threaten me with hell and stuff and tell me I have to play football and whatever. And it was, (laughs) it was very disarming. It wasn't what I was expecting. Well, don't you know that God has a, a gr- big, big house with a great big yard where we can play football? <laughs> big, big. That's a song, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah something like that. Close to a song. Right. One of those silly Christian songs. Yeah, but one of the, <laughs> so but the, but, and I'll wrap this up. But one of the, the first night that I went, they didn't even talk about homosexuality. They talked about emotional and codependency, which is something, which was my default relational style. Um, But they blamed that on being gay. It's not that it could be a human issue that Uh. that different people deal with. It was because I was gay that I was codependent and emotionally dependent. But because it met that's that kind of fucked up. Yeah. Well, it's one of the hooks. It's one of the, the things that I know now is a hook. It hooked me because it was a legitimate issue in my life, but they blamed it on being gay. And so I was like, oh, my God, I've never heard this before. That is so me. I'm so effed up. I'm here, you know, and I learned how to. So, not- so it's got you codependent on something else that didn't actually change like work on that part of you that is basically like oh we can manipulate you and get you to basically right well i kind of i call it like a poison pill like it did help me with understanding emotional dependency but it didn't help because it blamed being gay for being emotionally dependent it didn't treat it as the one issue alone everything stemmed from the sin of homosexuality. So all these legitimate issues were used as hooks to keep pulling you in. And as long as you're working on this legitimate issue, it will help you overcome homosexuality, which is a total lie. You know, every human being has the propensity for dysfunction. They didn't treat it like that. They treated it like it was a result from being gay. And because I had such a dark experience in the gay community in the 80s it was it was easy for me to scapegoat being gay um it was easy for me to think yeah that's such a depraved thing because i saw a lot of crazy stuff um but the truth is is that it's there's a book called the velvet rage by um, a psychologist alan downs and it talks about how uh, gay people are blamed for their dysfunctions um, when they shouldn't be. Um, It's not a problem for being gay that you have. It's not because you're gay that you have all these problems. You have all these problems because you have all these problems. You're just a gay person who's experiencing those. Whereas the ex-gay conversion therapy world wants to blame everything on being gay. Scapegoats, scapegoats being gay because of toxic theology and cultural stigma. Does that make sense? Yeah, that really does. I mean, it makes sense, but it seems like the the exact definition of like homophobia. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's called everything it, is on like this main fear being gay, and it's yes. like that seems so ridiculous. Like I don't. I mean, I I get it, especially that time and how we all where we all grew up. But I mean. How can your mental, like, because we all, 
have a dependency or capacity for codependency and different stuff like that. So is that just like we all have a little bit of gay in us? I mean, how does that how does that work? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And you're right; it is the textbook definition of bigotry. You run everything through that filter of hatred. It's internalized homophobia, is what it is, and it's Taught interesting. Be- internal homophobia. Because that's not yeah, something you you were t- you were told that it's not something you just lived knowing. Yeah, but it it it's so brainwashing. It's yeah, it's like shame and guilt over and over again. Um, but I've always found that I chose when I when I went through my experience. I chose to go right, like it was my personal decision, and I want so much to be able to say no. I was forced there because <laughs> then it would like justify like all of the crap that happened. Um, but it also it sounds like you chose to go there as well. I mean that this was something that that they kind of bought that they sold that pitch, right? That there's something wrong with you and you need help, and we have the answer. And then it made it so it's all this, not just the gay thing, it's everything and it'll fix my life. And you kind of, kind of bought the ticket. I did. And, you know, there's two different uh, series, docu-series. One is the Scientology uh, series by Leah Remini. And another one oh. is the, the new Nexium series um, that's on HBO, the, the secular sex cult up in, in um, New York. Um, the yeah, guy just crazy. got like a hundred and something years of, of federal prison time but the one of the guys in the the nexium docuseries says no one jun- joins a cult no one right. jo- they always join a good thing uh, something that's presented as a good thing and and yes you're right i chose to go that thursday night but there's there's those hooks that keep you coming back you know uh, it it's it's to the point where you really don't, because I thought for the longest time, for 20-something years, I was called celibacy because that was my only option. And when that's your you, only... You and Paul, right? You and Paul the Apostle. Right. I thought I was something special. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're just in a cult. <laughs> and it hurt to, to realize that. But there is a point where it doesn't become a choice, where the consequences are so high um, to leave that it's just not an option anymore. And you learned, it's learned helplessness. Um, you learn yeah. to live in the pain because you feel like that's your only option. Yeah. So how that. long does the program initially last? Like if somebody were to, at that point have joined Exorcist, is it like a year long, like do they, call, do they call it discipleship program? What do they call it? Like rehab? How did they, how did they, how did they approach you know, the reparative therapy? And, and did you have to pay for it? Right. Well, the thing about, I don't think, one of the things that I think is misunderstood about Exodus is that it wasn't the Starbucks of religious stigma. It didn't have a particular program or a particular price. There was all kinds of different curriculum and different um, ways of doing things like Exodus at its height had 251 member agencies in three different networks. There was the church network, which may or may not have had a group, but they just supported our 
they had they agreed with the theology of Exodus. Um, there was the professional counselor network, which you would more associate with the conversion therapy of today. Um, and there was also the peer-based member ministry network, um, which could be anything from an organized nonprofit to just a group that met in a church like the one I did, um, the one that I was in before I moved, uh, became a part of Exodus. So there was all kinds of different programs <laughs> Um, and some of them would charge, like there's one, um, I was a living waters coordinator. We had a curric that curriculum at the ministry or the organization that I ran in Texas before I joined Exodus. And that was a 30 week uh, program that cost like $800. Um, whereas our regular support groups where you can donate if you want to, you don't have to kind mm. of thing. Um, so, but those conversion therapy therapist folks they really like to charge by the hour and so you were just went going to a support too. group then at first right at first yeah before i went into leadership and in leadership i helped bring in the the paid curriculums so how did you get into actually being a paid member of exodus so you went through your the, your, the vice your president reparative therapy okay you went through the reparative therapy did you feel any less gay and then how did you become uh, the vice president? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting because I never felt, I never knew who I was. And so the, the, the crafting of who Randy became was really, you know, and I can say this now because I don't have any shame, but I was a narcissist. I had completely built my own persona. I thought I was this, um, you know, call to celibacy Oh, you know, advocate, ex-gay advocate, all this other stuff. And um, and so, you know, the struggles were always blamed on temptation. Oh, that's Satan. Mm, he's so crafty. And it it's you can hyper-spiritualize things. You could you just built this whole world around what you're supposed to be instead of who you really are. And that's not going to last. And it didn't. Um, and so I, uh, you know, when I went to that group, uh, about a year after that, the leader of the group started asking me to start uh, answering letters that the ministry would get. Um, that's back when we used to write with pencils on paper. <laughs> and, um, and I would respond to that. And then I became a small group leader. And I had never really had the space to kind of exercise my own gifts. And even though it was my superpowers were being used for evil, I didn't know it at the time. And so I was really good at leading small groups and I was really good at speaking and teaching. And I started getting invited to different conferences and speaking around the country. And then that caught the eye of the person who would eventually become the president of Exodus. So when he took over, Exodus in 2002. He asked me to be on staff with him. I came on as the membership director, went into the press um, press person position, and eventually up to the vice president position. Did you have any formal oh. schooling for any of that, or did they send you to any training, or was it all just um, going through some of their own classes and teaching it yourself? Did you have any schooling for the reparative therapy stuff? or uh, religiously were you schooled? That? Right. Well, um, can I cuss? Fuck yeah. Yes. 
it was all, I'm a good bullshitter. I know how to tell a story. <laughs> and that's pretty much the whole ex-gay conversion. You said you were going to cuss. We're, we're, I, did, I missed it. The, the whole <laughs> I thought shit was a word. Um, <laughs> yes, it's bullshit. <laughs> um, but, I, think that, I, think, yeah. I think that's PG-13. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, fuck. I'll have to think of something else. There you go. That's, there you um, go. Okay. Let's take your game up. Um, well, okay, I know. I would, then. You pretty much were guaranteed success if you knew how to tell your story. And even though I really believed it, I knew how to tell a story. And that's one of the things that if you ever get in a conversation with an ex-gay ministry leader, is ask them what their credentials are. They don't have any. Um, right. And with conversion therapy, uh, you do have psychologists who are involved. So that is some credentials. But when it, the, but that was like 30 out of the 251 member agencies. Right. Um, the yeah. people in the churches and all this other stuff, they have no business presenting themselves as counselors. But as and long as you love all the Lord, then that's yeah. all that matters. That's just right. point people to Jesus and he'll just work that's out right. all your problems. Yeah. Well, right. Omar and I worked for a discipleship training school yeah. and a... Assemblies of God, drug, yeah. Assemblies of God and a drug rehabilitation center. So we were technically counselors or staff. Right. So I totally get the, I am not qualified for this shit thing yeah. um, that you're talking about. Yeah. That was not us. I mean, we were not qualified, but we did it. No, right. we were, we were, do, we're I... doing our very best. And then in the, uh, our spare time, I was smoking weed in the bathroom of the parsonage. Um, but I wanted to ask <laughs> you about that and being a bullshitter and unqualified and being quote unquote celibate. Uh, for the time that you're working with, uh, uh, well, he said it didn't last. That, that's what I heard. That you see, you heard the same thing I yeah. did too. So that's what I want to yeah. know is as the VP of Exodus, how much tell are you? How much tell are you actually getting? Omar. He asked it. Seth. He asked it on live Facebook Live. My you know husband, what? ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is fine. I, you know, I. Did, Were you getting any? I was not actually. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. I Come was on, a true believer. Randy. I was a true believer. Um, and the narcissist and you wouldn't let you do it, huh? Is no, that what it was? Would not. And and that was basically it because that false self image of self righteousness and all this other stuff. I wanted to be the guy that said no. I didn't. And yeah. And I didn't. Now I wish I had because once I allowed myself to, men, huh? <laughs> once my I allowed myself that freedom, life changing <laughs> in a good way. But anyway, but now at the time I didn't. No, it just reminded me of that time. Um, I went to a charismatic church and they had a, like a Wednesday night service with like a prayer. And uh, and asking like to vote no on this like thing for that was going to be in promotion of LGBT freedoms and rights and certain like legislation and housing stuff. And so I went up to them and I said, I'm gay and I don't want to be. What can you do for me? And they said, well, do you want to lead our ex-gay ministry? <laughs> really? I kid, I kid you not, Randy. And this is just a short story because it's funny because I literally then went to some of their meetings and they wanted to make me one of the counselors. Well, it doesn't surprise like, me. I was like, okay. Surprise I was like, all. all right. Well, none of these men are attractive, so it didn't last very long. But I just that was tonight. That was kind of funny. Yeah. They're related. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting just talking about the church as far as how they always put people who are unqual unqualified in 
charge of people's souls, which is like, if you're the church, that's the most important commodity that you have. Right. Yes. You think that they would actually care about the people that they're putting in these things. But the the thing, it always, at least in the denomination I was in, they would tell you, well, that's the best way to conquer your sin is to bring it out into the light and to talk about it. And as long as you're teaching these ministries, then your own guilt or whatever it is, is going to keep you from sinning. What's all, all it's going to do is keep you from being able to talk about it. If you are struggling, you right. know, it, it doesn't, doesn't really keep you from doing anything. Right. Well, unless you, I don't know, apparently you, you manage. So congratulations. I can tell you right now that Seth did not manage. <laughs> well, there also wasn't Grinder back then either, so that probably would have made oh, things a little true. harder for you. <laughs> you Technology you wasn't trying? against you at that point. What? 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 I don't. Even, what? What was that slam? You what, have uh, to speaking of Grinder, Seth, get off Grinder. Yeah. I'm not on Grinder <laughs> right at the moment. <laughs> you have to well, turn Randy, your phone okay. on. Then, then the Grinder app will work. <laughs> right. So, all right. So you're you've you've been the VP of Exodus International. You've done, you know, some work that you're probably not proud of, right? right? Okay. How in the hell did you get out of all that? Well, it's um it it's a it's kind of slow, but it kind of wasn't. Like we were involved with uh the Arlington group and the DC group, um, and those were two very high profile, but supposed to be secret groups of people like Dr. Dobson and Tony Perkins. And um, I met Kellyanne Conway there. I met Mike Pence and his staff at those meetings. And is he, okay. Randy, yeah. you saw Mike Pence in person? Uh, yeah. Okay. Gaydar. No, totally. Where, where, yeah. yeah. I thought I, I might've been tempted. Really? The, the evil one may have tempted me. I mean, I just was, I mean, I, I have Gator from just TV, but I'm like, I want to really? confirm if you've seen him in no. person. No, I don't I, yeah. know that he, I don't know for a fact that he struggles, but it would not surprise me at all. Yeah. Wow. Um, but anyway, so I was a part of those groups and, <laughs> you know, back when um, uh, Romney and no, 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 McCain and Obama were going at it for 2008, I was... I, you know, I sat in the peanut gallery. My boss was one of the principals. And, you know, I just said one meeting, and I'm not making this up. <laughs> uh, if they didn't hate me so much, they could back me up. But I said, I think we really need to be watching Obama because he's the only one the country is listening to right now. And I was laughed at. Um, and then um, when Romney was running, um, they said they couldn't vote for a Mormon. And I was like, he's the only one who can do math. And they, you know, and so I was like, these folks aren't, they are what I always thought they were before. And they were self-defeating. And so politically, I I was starting to to lose my faith in our faith leaders. And then I just started, um, you know, we really started questioning. uh, There was a lot of young people. We had a lot of interns in um, the office and they were like, do we really change? (laughs) You know how young people can be so annoying that way. And they're like, do we really change? Is Exodus fulfilling its mission and and all this other stuff? And we're like, okay, let's have that honest discussion. Yeah, asking good questions. Yeah. And so we started asking those questions among our leadership and these people that I had lionized, that I had pet- put on a pedestal, that I had protected, that I had promoted, 
um, they turned on a dime just for us asking the questions. And we were still hardcore, you know, meeting Newt Gingrich, <laughs> Carl, Carl Rove at these meet and greets and all this other stuff. We were hardcore religious right. But just because we were asking those questions, um, you know, we were being used at the devil and those types of things. Making people uncomfortable. Yeah. And so that really kind of opened my eyes. As I mentioned, Brandon mentioned in his interview, it's like, is that the person that I want to be? in 10 years, right. that's not the fruit of the spirit. And that's also a clear sign of a cult right. whenever you're not allowed to question right. things, especially whenever it comes to the cult of Christianity, whenever you're not allowed to question. I mean, even the Bible talks about certain people wrestling with God, mm -hmm. you know, certainly figuratively. What Jewish faith but, is all about. Right. Right. You know, it, it's interesting to, to, to see the difference there. Right. You know, it's not real christianity it's toxic religion right. exactly yes and i yes. and i started seeing you know I, I i love the teachings of jesus i'm still consider myself a christian a universalist christian if that means anything but i i love his teachings and the fruit of the spirit i i got focused on where's the fruit of the spirit and i was not seeing it in my peers anymore I was not seeing it in the people that I was supposed to be leading and protecting and promoting and all this other stuff. I was seeing the opposite. I, instead of kindness, I was seeing malice. Instead of generosity, I was seeing negative assumptions. You know, and it was just like it was so, it was so eye-opening. But even then, it took the death of my friend that I mentioned earlier to just rip the blinders off. And after that happened, and I. I wrote, I was writing a report in the midst of that, even before that, for the board on whether we should shut down Exodus or not, because it had gotten so bad. Um, it was like the nonprofit version of a huge denominational split. They were so mad at us for asking questions, thinking about redoing re our mission statement, that they were splitting. They were, they were creating their own network that took the very worst parts of Exodus and amplified them exponentially. And it was getting so bad that not, not, we weren't only questioning whether Exodus had fulfilled its mission. Functionally, it was falling apart because they were taking donors, they were taking member agencies out. And, and then um, when Michael passed away, I told my boss, that I was going to leave whether the board voted to close Exodus or not. Um, but I would stay until we made that presentation, but I was going to recommend that they close Exodus. And he fully agreed. He was already there. I didn't know it, but when we had that discussion, we, we were like, yeah, Exodus needs to close. It's not only not fulfilled its mission, it's become deadly. Yes. And what was, so was Michael then involved with Exorcist at the time as well? Is that kind of like what was more even insult to injury? Yeah. Um, Michael, he was actually a part of the 12-step program I was a part of. And uh, he went back into the church closet before I did. Um, and then I went into the church closet, and then I became a leader at that local group. And he went to the group that I led for two years, which is something I'll always regret. Yeah. Um, but he went back to he went back to being gay. He actually embraced who he truly was. And he got involved in a relationship 
um, that was very unhealthy and a lot of very terrible things happened. Um, and because of that, and because of the toxic things that we had believed in, he thought God was punishing him. Mm. And so mm. he took his life. Mm. I'm sorry for your loss. It never so, gets it, easier to share no. that, but hang on. Yeah. And this Michael was beautiful. He was a beautiful man. He was so smart. He was like IQ in the 150s. He knew his stuff backwards and forwards. He was the guy that you always got to have those fun arguments with about any kind of topic. And he was just a beautiful person. And when he took his life because he thought God might be punishing him, I could no longer hyper-spiritualize this away. I couldn't blame Satan because Michael knew his stuff. He did not, he was not given to just whims. And for the power of those beliefs to lead a strong man like that, I oh, knew wow. that there was something incredibly wrong with where we were now. It, I mean, I'd been told those things. But until I knew a person directly that I could not excuse away, it didn't rip my blinders off until Michael passed away. And so yeah. at that moment, I knew I, I didn't really know all the stuff that I would deconstruct and know today, but I knew that I had to get out of there, that I would not support the board hiring a new executive director. Um, that we had to shut it down. And I would say, shut it, helping to shut down Exodus, it wasn't me. I didn't get to make the decision, but helping to shut it down was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. yeah it definitely sounds like it. That's powerful, man. That's really powful. I have a question. I'm yeah, I think we all have yeah. so many questions. Yeah. I, Go I ahead, have connection issues. I am having connection issues, so I'm not going to turn my video on just in case I have to, the call drops again. But what year would that have been that Exodus ended? And where did you go from there? Like, uh, I have more questions than that, but let's start there. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, we announced the closing of Exodus on June 19th of 2013 um, at, the, at the conference that we were, our uh, yearly conference. I hit the enter on the press release when he made the announcement. And wow. um, and after that, I laid myself off from a job that paid pretty well. And I had no clue what was going to happen next. And it was incredibly difficult um, yeah. for me personally. I didn't, you know, I thought that I was going to be at that job for the rest of my life. And, and now I'm like, what now? <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. know who I was. And and um, I, I think through my own counseling, real counseling and mm -hmm. spiritual journey, um, I was able to pull out the the real me from what had been used for, for negative, for bad. Yeah. Um, but I also was able to reach out to some LGBTQ plus people that I had met over the years. Um, we had been kind of frenemies <laughs> before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, the, you know, they would tell me the truth. They're like, we don't like what you're doing at Exodus. Exodus is responsible for so much horribleness in this world, but our door is open to you. 
kind of people. Mm-hmm. And um, after we closed down Exodus, I just reached out to them. And one particular man named Ben, um, he's a voiceover artist in Palm Springs now. Um, he, uh, I, I asked him some really pointed and, and rude questions. I, I've <laughs> apologized to him because I had no business asking someone the kind of questions that I did, but he was very transparent about at the time he was engaged and and I was like, man, he, he's got more of the fruit of the spirit than most people I've ever met. And I never saw it before. And that was kind of where I was, what I was looking for at the time. It was my only anchor is like, where is the fruit of the spirit? Where is love, kindness, graciousness, steadfastness? You know, where is it? Yeah. And, or when you're teaching people to suppress themselves, like yeah. how are they supposed to ever express any like of those actual emotions? Because I looked at spending all day long learning to hate themselves. So how do right. you, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, so oh, sorry. 2013 was the same year. Everything got shut down for us too. That's interesting. Yeah. Just a month before you. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, it so was, we were, we were going through. Year. Two, yeah. 2013 sucked. Let's just put it. Well, I, I used to say 2013 <laughs> was the worst year ever, but I think this one's giving it a run for its money. It, you know, you know, I agree with that. You, yeah. Until the last election, I should say, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. It looked I'm like it curious. was going to get better and then everything starts shutting down, but go, go ahead. Cause that's the question. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Cause you mentioned that cause my question in hearing that story was what was the reception from the gay community afterwards, you know? Um, Because I was imagining that that probably didn't go very well Um, and that there had been a lot of hate and a lot of blame and a lot of... It's kind of like when a cop gets arrested and he's, you know, like locked in the prison cell and they're like, oh, I'm going to fuck this dude up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just... but, But you're explaining that you reached out to some people that you felt were supportive and were able to form some meaningful bonds there. Sounds like they gave you some grace. They did. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not, I mean, I'm gay. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just curious. I'm just, yeah. So, was it primarily positive? Well, it, it's interesting. I, the process of me coming to the place of coming out again, which I did on January 12th of 2015, um, those kind people, I reached out to people I knew would not, you know, eviscerate me. Um, and they didn't, you know, it's it's interesting when I share my story Um, I call it a tale of two closets. I go from one toxic religious view to Carmela Marcella Garcia, who welcomes me into her home after three weeks of living in my car. In Jesus' name, this is a drag queen inviting me into her home in Jesus' name, you know. And then all these years later, um, I go from a toxic, toxic religious environment, and now I'm turning to a gay voiceover artist. I'm turning to a lesbian author that I had met over the years. I'm asking them very pointed questions, and that's exactly what it was. It was pure grace. Um, and it was a grace that I had never had come close a couple of times in the church, but had never experienced. These people had every reason to say, you know what, F you. Get the fuck out of my face. You did all these horrible things, um, said all these horrible things, and you can Google and find these horrible things that I did. They could have said that, but they didn't. They knew that I was in pain, hurting, and involved in a cult, and they they gave me the 
they gave me living water. They gave me uh, refreshment. They gave me a safe place yeah. to ask these questions. Um, now, when I came out, and even when we closed Exodus, there was all kinds of gay people, and there's still gay people today that hate my guts. They don't want to hear me doing anything. Um, they tell me that I need to go crawl under the rock that I came out from under, that I have no business doing interviews or the advocacy work that I do with Thrive. Um, and I get it. I don't blame them at all. If I, I, I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I don't think it's okay at all. I, I think it's horrible that that's happening. Well, you know, I, um, I kind of understand where they're coming from because I represent a lot of pain and I represent a lot of hurt that a lot of them went through. And so I give everyone the space they need. If they, if they have a lot of negative things to say, you know, like one man said, don't you see the blood on your hands? And I said, I'm afraid to look at my hands. Um, And, and it's, I was always a true believer. I never thought that what I was doing was hurtful, but I do understand now that it was, and that there's a lot of very negative consequences that people have dealt with that I'm associated with. And so if they, they need the space to be angry and mad, okay, I get it. I'm a lot of, they want to be unforgiving. I'm unforgiving of myself in some things. I'm about to marry a dude next year and I lobbied against it. I lobbied against it for so many years. You know, so I, I get what being angry at me is like. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I appreciate you saying that, but I, I don't blame them at all. I think it's extremely important for people to hear this story because, you know, the culture right now is if there's someone that's doing this kind of work that's against, uh, you know, LGBTQ rights, it's cancel them and cancel them now. And it's like, no, if you are like, uh, forgive me if I get it wrong, Carmela Marcella Garcia, mm-hmm. if you're like that person and you're showing grace, mm-hmm. you're going to change someone's life Mm -hmm. and you're going to change it for the better. Right? So this whole idea of cancel culture is the absolute worst thing you can do. It's going to drive more people in the direction of Exodus international, I think. And so I'm, I'm so happy uh, that you've, you know, found grace from a community, um, you know, that at one point, um, you know, maybe you weren't so kind to. And, uh, and now, you get an opportunity with Thrive. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, we want to talk about that as well. You get an opportunity with Thrive to hopefully find redemption there. And so, what exactly do you do at Thrive? And, and what is yeah, it? Yeah, what is, what is Thrive? I'm curious of that as well. And um, I really appreciate, before we go any, any further, Randy, just uh, your vulnerability and um, telling some of these stories, um, you know, and as we were talking about Michael and stuff. I, I, um, I really appreciate you, man. And, um, even, um, your, with this last response you had to Seth's question or, 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 you know, just, um, the honesty of, you know, I think we all can relate to knowing what it's like to, um, have a hard time forgiving ourselves for things that we've done in our past. And it sounds like thrive that we're getting ready to hear more about, um, is maybe some way of, finding redemption for some of the things you did while you were at Exorcist. Um, but I'm also curious because you said Exodus shut down in 2013. 13. And then two years later is when you actually came out again of the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, the two years in between there is probably a whole nother podcast of just like <laughs> what, what it was like, where, where you're at, you know, to where you've, um, you know, you gave us this little snapshot with Carmela and the different, uh, the LGBT community that you found. So anyway, let's hear about Thrive. I, I appreciate you, man. That's all I really <laughs> wanted to say. There was, there was no question there. I don't think. <laughs> no, that, Can I, cool. and before he jumps in on this, one thing I just want to point out the irony of, okay, truly is that the ministry, like ex reparative therapy conversion therapy all of these things they started to look very unlike christ but it's what the church was trying to do to be biblical and if you follow the actual biblical jesus it's accepting yourself is his message not come as you are it's just so ironic Omar, (laughs) (laughs) the irony of that, though, that literally stepping away from something that's ordained by the church is actually bringing you closer to the God that the church is supposed to represent. It's just irony, but continue on. Well, and that's an irony that's been happening for thousands of years. Um, Jesus was definitely um, stepping away from the church at the time um, and preaching a whole new gospel. Um, and right. then, oh, new world. <laughs> um, and you know, then religion took over Christianity, hijacked it, and um, and it, it's just been this whole whole thing. You know, and it's the it's the problem with organized religion is that humans put themselves at the top of the chain instead of actually, you know, looking for the spiritual elements um, and for the and for those who, you know, aren't of faith, um, there is something transcendent in just finding our connectedness to one another. You know, there's something about being human that is transcendent. The, to the rest of nature. And so there's there's so much beauty there that we get so lost in when we come up with all these rules and hierarchies and tiers and and all this other stuff. You know, this is the biblical answer is the is probably the first red flag. If you hear someone say this is the biblical answer, just run. You know, because I would one hundred percent agree with that <laughs> statement. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm I'm a universalist Christian. You know, I I love my faith now. I feel like I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life because I find that the divine is in all of us, you know? And anyway, so. To talk about irony, isn't that ironic? It's the thing that I was most afraid of becoming when I was a evangelical Pentecostal Christian. Um, as I've become that, it just seems like the most correct way to be that i've ever been in my entire life you know that what is it you always say omar you become your fears (laughs) yeah this is true (laughs) yeah i know and it's it's very interesting to me because i in my path i did have these spiritual experiences throughout growing up that continued through my closet years in the church closet um and continued to this day you know, and I've, I've found that when I was involved in that cult, I was, um, 
that those were true blinders. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to experience um, that transcendent nature within yourself in any particular way, except in ways that they can define and control. And, um, you know, that's, that's an argument that's been had for <laughs> generations, but I found the same thing, Omar. It's, it's once I got the blinders off, I finally got to experience reality and less, and it's so much less stressful, <laughs> so much more free. Yeah. It's funny too, that they called it Exodus. It's almost prophetic in that way, because didn't they only just wander in the desert for 40 years and never actually go anywhere? Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And all of them dropped dead. Yeah. You know, as far yeah. as. Never got to get, see their, you know, yeah, promised they, land. Yeah. They never, they never, they, they wandered around. They made excuses. They hurt people. Um, people died. And the very people that are supposed to be leading them, I think Joshua was the one who led them in there. But Moses never saw the promised land. Uh, all of the that generation never got to see anything. And it, and as much as I don't like the rest of the story, um, <laughs> the, the younger generation is not buying into it. Um, and they're not going no. to put up with wandering around in the desert um, like that. And I think for me, I mean, it's always going to take on a new form, but the ex-gay world that I was a part of—it's on—it's on its last gasps. That doesn't mean oh, yeah. God. That doesn't mean that it's going to not be there in some form or fashion. It will be, but um, as far as those ex-gay support groups, they're—they're they're not thriving at all, and that makes me very happy. It's so—it's yeah. so sad that the reality is, though, it takes that generation dying off for it to actually for any real change to happen. But um, yeah, this generation coming up and we have kids and stuff too. I'm just so excited for the future that they might have with, you know, um, the different rallies and protests and voices that are being spoken now. Um, and let's, let's hear about Thrive. Okay, great. Well, Thrive, um, it pretty that, much- You like that transition? Not really? Well, just, just, just stick it right in no, there, right? Chris just asked the question like 20 minutes ago, and we're finally getting to it. Right. So anyway, that's all, you- we all We all had a piece to say. Right. Well, Thrive pretty much exists to, to educate against uh, sexual orientation change efforts. Um, we're pretty much educational um, outreach. We, um, we do advocacy work when we get a chance. Um, just recently, for example, the 11th Circuit uh, Appeals Court uh, struck down all of the Florida conversion therapy bans. Um, and so I'll be on a national town hall uh, Monday night uh, to talk about that. And That's, so that means they can reopen camps and stuff there in Florida. That I didn't realize that that was uh, stuff that's going on. That's, that's crazy, man. Well, uh, the two to one um, court, two appointed by Trump to one, um, struck down all the conversion therapy bans in Florida. Yep. And so they can they can fire those things back up. They did it in the name of religious freedom and freedom of speech. And so You're making Seth wow, sound right do. right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And this is what I've been speaking to. But again, sorry, Randy. They, there's a big joke right now, and and among our team that I 
made a big deal about voting for Joe Biden because of I felt like another four years, the way things were going, they were going to kick gay marriage back to the states. Right. He, he was telling and me I that I hate in, gay people because I, I voted for in, Joe Jorgensen. And so. I live in Missouri, <laughs> and I have people that say they love me and yet are voting for a candidate that is doesn't have a chance. And but she, but and she, but she loved gay think, people too. I don't understand. I don't. But it well, come on, she wasn't going to win. Yeah. I don't. The think, outcome is what I, I don't was, think was that concerned. even if it were kicked back to the states, that they would allow that to happen. I think so, it's done. So, it's a done deal. Sorry about that. It's well, anyway. Sorry, Randy. It sounds like on. that. There's moving on. Moving it on. sounds <laughs> like there's stuff still happening though in this regard, and you're now going to be on a town hall about right. it. So right. yeah, yeah, and I'm kind of with you. Um, the damage that uh, the current administration has done to our community won't be felt uh-huh. for another couple, uh, couple three years, um, but it's there. Uh, the, this yeah. court was two of the three were appointed by him, um, and I'm uh-huh. sure it was because Pence and the uh, Bishop Harry Jackson, who recently passed away, um, I'm sure that they advised him to do that. They are looking forward to the Supreme Court knocking down gay marriage. Where it ends up after that, I don't know. But um, but we, we don't need to rest on our laurels because one thing that I did learn about the religious right is they never play for the short term. They're always in it for the long term um, yeah. as far as their strategy and goals and all that stuff. Yeah, well, we need more people like you and Brandon to like that have, were involved, um, you know, maybe on the right at one point and have seen what the uh, religious rights doing and, and pushing back and being a voice saying, hey, you can be on the left and still love Jesus and you can be as queer as you want to be and, and be accepted. And I think I think it's beautiful. And is there uh, ways people can if they want to know more about Thrive? And I see I see that hand, Chris. Am I moving too yeah, fast? Yeah, I have something too. Thrive is mostly for the um, it is it mostly deals with government issues to help the LGBTQ community. Is that what I'm understanding? No, we do um, okay. we do educational as well. Like I get people who will contact me privately through messages or emails, and so I I provide direct support as far as you know, just being somebody there with a listening ear and experience that people can draw from. Um, and I had I'm a part of two different documentaries. Um, one is called Pray Away, and the other one is called For They Know Not What They Do, um, and both of them were uh, premiered at Tribeca. Um, and so there's a lot of personal education, um, you know, if you want to call it that, but cultural outreach, those types of things, cultural out- education, that's more of where my passion is at. Advocacy, of course, uh, politically is is very important. Don't want to minimize yeah. that at all, but my heart is to change hearts and minds and to convince people that whether we have a conversion therapy ban or not, it is deadly to young people and even old people like me to be a part of that world. And so we, we look for any opportunity to help uh, change hearts and minds to be LGBTQ plus affirming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have really appreciated you being extremely vulnerable to come on here and tell this story and I know it's not easy. It can't be easy. Um, you've got balls, man. And um, I really appreciate you for, you know, 
telling this. And I just, I, I would say, you know, there's probably going to be somebody, whether it's a person that went through Exodus or a family member of someone that went through Exodus, uh, that's going to listen to this interview and you have their ear. If you could say anything to those people, yeah, what would you say to them? I would say to, and I know that they're there. I, I know that people reach out to me all the time. Um, first of all, if you want to talk, um, call, email, message, do whatever you do. I never break confidence, um, and I don't make judgments. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I definitely have opinions. If you want my opinion, I'll give you my opinion. Um, but overall, is I know the pressure of what it means to think that we have to do the right thing in order to love correctly, um, that we've been taught that the only way to love people who struggle with same-sex attractions is to steer them toward ex-gay type of ministries and conversion therapy. What I'm going to ask you to humbly ask you to consider is look for the fruit of the Spirit. The, the fruit of the Spirit you will know a tree by its fruit. You know, we're talking to Christians here. So if I'm getting into Christianese for some people who may be watching, please forgive me for just this one moment. But to the Christian who's watching, look for the fruit of the Spirit. If you genuinely ask the Lord to show you where the fruit of the Spirit is, you will see that it's in affirming his LGBTQ plus children. That is where the fruit of the Spirit is. Everything else is legalism. Everything else is performance-based. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. And for if you're a parent, that LGBTQ plus child, your gay, lesbian, trans child, is beautiful. The way they are is how God created them to bring beauty into the world, relational beauty into the world. Let them be who he created them to be. And look for the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have questions... Um, you want to yell at me and tell me how much I'm wrong, feel free to do that too. Um, I've heard it before. I can take it. So my door's always open and uh, nothing but unconditional love and complete uh, confidence. I won't break your confidence. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. And I hope that that door that's open is not the closet door. I hope that door slams shut. You won't go back there ever again. Um, the thing about uh, the stained glass closet is it broke pretty easily. I, I slammed, <laughs> slammed, it, slammed that door and shattered all that stained glass. Good. Um, appreciate you, man. Uh, thanks for what you're doing now. Thanks for your vulnerability. And congratulations on your marriage. And it sounds like you get said you have like a 13-year-old uh <laughs> child as well that's coming with this with this relationship is that is that what i heard yes well dan and i celebrated four years together um yes i i started dating pretty quickly after i came back <laughs> well good okay. yeah, i mean you had a lot of time, sure had a lot of time to make up for i mean yeah. two decades oh, of celibacy i, I mean it. jesus I christ really <laughs> i mean what was your Pornhub <laughs> account like when you were working for exorcist i didn't ask that question no, that should never, be a follow-up question right before <laughs> you should not be watching what's a porn i don't know and and let's be honest if you're coming out of exodus forget Pornhub and hello bathhouse i mean that is where 
I mean, why are you why are you spending all your time alone? Get out there and have some fun. I did, I did start dating pretty quickly, and uh, there you go. actually, the first guy. Okay, this is kind of I didn't play around when I was at Exodus, but the first guy I dated outside of Exodus was a former Exodus leader. There you go. Yeah, I mean, so you know, you had a connection there at least. You know, something that you were yeah. you know <laughs> living out at least one of those fantasies. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so congratulations on four years getting married next year. Tell us a little more about yes. you said Dan. His name is Dan, uh, Dan Scobie. He doesn't mind me saying his name. Okay, cool. Um, he, uh, we've been together four years. We're getting married April 23rd of next year. He has, nice. a, uh, well, we have a 13-year-old daughter now, and uh, I'm her fairy godmother on good days, <laughs> and, the bon- and the bonus dad on other days, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so she's 13 now. Of course, I've known her since she was nine. So love her, love him, and I'm marrying a dude. And, and, you, and you're, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's and Thanks. your yeah. mother sounds like you have a good relationship with her. And so she's in support. How, how's Dan's family? Uh, they're supportive. They're kind of They're kind of on the same page. It's like we don't go into the nitty gritty of what it means to be gay with any of them, but they're all going to try to be, they're not buying you guys sex toys or anything for your uh, (laughs) bachelor party or whatever. Yeah. We don't talk about our favorite. Seth is horrified. We we don't talk about our our favorite professors on the educational channel of Pornhub or anything. uh, No. Yeah. These guys wanted to sell dildos for the longest time. What's a dildo? <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're still we're still trying to work, wrong, trying to work with like some companies for you know the fade to gray butt Omar. plug, which which really which I mean, come on, because it works for Omar. the Pentecostal and you if you're doing yoga, you know you don't want oh the gosh. demons to enter into your right. soul. So right. like and that's the, the, the downward the, wow. the downward dog. He's saying the sex comment. I'm not understanding this. Why this was such a beautiful conversation a beautiful interview. Ending, All right, Omar, your mother and my mother have never bought us sex toys, and we are straight. So I'm not sure why that you're asking Randy that question. I don't know. I guess that's the inner bigot in me. I'm not sure. <laughs> is, 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 is that your point? <laughs> well, yeah. I guess we'll wrap on that. Uh, all right. I love you guys. I repent. So um, I pre- appreciate you, Randy. Seriously, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yes. I mean, you took us to like you know a lot of places. You had me like about in tears at one point, and um, I was crying. Seth was crying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I cried a little bit. Randy, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. And uh, through this series, we really want to show multiple perspectives. And I think we did that in this episode. Uh, Your vulnerability, your honesty, and your authenticity is very much appreciated. And if people um want to get a hold of you you know you mentioned email you call you that kind of stuff like how how would people find out about you and is there anything in addition to thrive or that you're doing at thrive that that you would like to promote um well right now the the pandemic has kind of shut down our in-person types of things i was going to try and do us uh an offline group um but the pandemic just shut everything down um the the uh, we are doing the town hall uh, a Monday night. I don't have the details yet. I just know it's going to be 7 o'clock Eastern Monday night. So we'll have that link on the Facebook Thrive page, which is facebook.com slash Thrive LGBTQ. Um, and uh, and uh, the second documentary that I'm in, um, Pray Away, 
Um, we're still kind of, it was supposed to premiere at Tribeca, and technically it did, but they didn't actually have the festival. But it's going to be released soon as well, and that one has gotten amazing critical review. The first one, For They Know Not What They Do, um, has has as well. So both of those documentaries, Before They Know Not What They Do, they can uh, rent on iTunes and Prime. Um, Pray Away, though, it could be a really big deal. There's a is lot it of, for yeah. rent on Prime, or is it one of those? Is it Pray free Away for Prime isn't yet. Uh, oh, um, for Before They Know Not What They Do, is I think it's for rent, but it's like $1.99 or $2.99. Right on. When uh, Pray Away comes out, like hit us back up because we might want to interview you oh, again yeah, and also promo- promote that when that when that Maybe hits. Have you so got movies that me and do documentaries? <laughs> We're nice folks. We want to talk to you awesome. again. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, will do. No, thank you so much. I really appreciated the conversation, and thank you for highlighting this issue in the series. No worries. Awesome.